I can still, yeah. Sweet. All right, go ahead and hit record. And then I'm going to do a clap to sync these cameras up, and then we're going to start talking about the social dilemma. I'm going to do small talk before we talk about the social okay, dilemma. Cool. But <laughs> that's ultimately what we're going to talk about. In five, four, three, two, one. All right, Chelsea, welcome to my living room. Thank you. Of course. <laughs> it's an honor. It's beautiful. Yeah, I, I really wish I could take credit for the decorating in here. Um, I've been like spending quarantine trying to be like more of an adult. Uh-huh. Um, I haven't really gotten to the decorating part yet. How's that going? I haven't like even tried. Like I've not tried I haven't tried to be an adult? No, the the adult part. Oh, okay. oh no, 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 no. That part is that that, that part's going well. Okay. Um a lot of cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, I started out doing a lot of like Uber Eats and that sort of thing. Um, that got r- really expensive and very unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. Do you like, you cook a lot? Um, sometimes it depends. Like right now I've just been into like overnight oats. Like that's been like my go-to thing mm-hmm. and just like fruit, like fruit and coffee. Ooh, what kind of fruit are we talking about? Um, like apples, bananas, like things that I can grab really quickly. But then I also love freezing grapes. Okay. That sounds like it would be a nice treat. Yeah. I, I, I like a lot of raspberries and blackberries. Oh, yes. Yeah. I buy bananas, um, but I can never eat them fast enough before they go bad. No, and listen. Yeah. Oh, is the there trick, a trick? There is a trick to bananas. What, what is the trick? Everybody sits their bananas out, like on a counter. That's exactly what I do. Yes. Put them in the refrigerator. It seems like it makes so much sense now. Because, okay, so the thing about putting the bananas in the refrigerator <laughs> is the outside might look brown uh-huh. for, like, a week or two, and that's fine. But as soon as you peel it, it still, like, has a crunch to it. Like, it doesn't mm-hmm. brown at all if you leave it in the refrigerator. No, that's a whole life hack. Yeah. When did you learn that? Um, just living. Uh, no, no one <laughs> Being is, an adult. Look, I'll, I'm, I'm going to be 27 years old in a okay. week. And... No one has ever said, put your bananas in the refrigerator. Oh, I'm telling you, never been put them said. in the refrigerator. Um, so there's some weird shit that happened today. I haven't watched much of it, but did you see that Kanye West went on Joe Rogan's podcast? What? Yeah, I think we're doomed. Okay, listen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have been listening to your podcast uh-huh. like for like the past like week. I was like, I need to prepare myself. Mm-hmm. Um and you said something about like Joe Rogan, and I have very conflicting views on Joe Rogan's I, podcast. I think we all do. Yeah, um, he's just a bro. He's just like a meathead that yeah. I'm like, hmm, I'm not here for it. Like it's toxic. Yeah. Um, but some of the people that he allows onto his podcast, I appreciate like the open conversations that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not gonna like tread from it, but I did just watch the one that he did with Matthew McConaughey, oh, God. Yeah. and it was something. Uh. He's interesting. So is 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 he on a press tour for a new movie or something? I think so. What is it? I don't know. Because yeah, I, I've been because he he there's this like entrepreneur kind of bro dude named Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, that he he was doing an interview with him for some reason. And I, I saw like a couple of clips of Matthew McConaughey on Joe Rogan's show and this interview. Is he drinking when he's doing these interviews? Okay, yeah. <laughs> so I think he is because he's just like so out of it. Yeah. And like his the um, episode that he did with Joe Rogan, his laptop just kept dinging from like email notifications. And I'm like, you knew you were about to be on a podcast. Yeah. Why did you silence your computer? <laughs> 
that's an easy mistake to make because I, I mean it is. Yeah, I mean I, I've had that happen to me with times. Um, I like Matt. I, I like mm-hmm. characters that he's played on screen. He oh. seems like he'd be a real weird dude. True Detective is one of my favorites. Yeah, season one. Yes. Yeah. All the other seasons, I'm like, no, I could have done without them. Never saw season three. I watched season two, but it obviously did not live up to no. season one mm-hmm. at all. A lot of philosophy in season in season one. Well, and I think that's just because of Matthew McConaughey's character. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 R- Russ, something I can't I think remember. It's Russ. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think that almost like single handedly almost made the show. Um. So speaking of um. Of, of philosophy, and mm-hmm. I'm not like a philosophy dude or anything like that, but um, I was listening to somebody's podcast. I can't remember um, who whose it was or who they were talking to, uh, but they were they had they had Tristan uh, Tristan Harris who's from the, Social from, Dilemma, from Social yes. Dilemma yeah. which that's what this episode is actually about is mm-hmm. about Social Dilemma. Yes. <laughs> um, but he was on a podcast, and the dude he was talking to was he was he was saying that like our epistemological uh, I shouldn't have tried it. No, it's okay. Um, for lack of a better term, our understanding of what is real and what is not is shattered, and there's really not much of a way to. At least not that I see to put it back together again. Um, and, you know, it appears that social media is kind of uh, the, 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 the centerpiece of not only a lot of our polarization, but as far as our ability or lack of ability to distinguish between what is true and what is not. Um, so before we like dive too deep into that, let's talk about like when you saw the social dilemma for the first time, uh, how did you feel about it? Okay. So I watched it a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and initially I was just like, okay, this is, it's okay. Like it's okay for the sake of like a Netflix documentary, but mm-hmm. I don't feel like I received any new information that I didn't already know. And I feel like it was just kind of like this, and I'm going to say for people like you and me, um, we have already been aware of how like skewed like social media, um, like how the algorithms are. Um, I think that that was a documentary for people who didn't want to process that. Like people who were just like, oh, I don't want to think about how um, I'm targeted for ads or how like, you know, Google has uh, this certain bit of data when it comes to my phone like people who didn't want to like um take in those concepts that was a documentary for them for people like us we're just like okay well yeah okay so i thought i was the only one um yeah so the first time i watched it i was like well that was entertaining but you're not really telling me anything that i didn't already know that's that's how i felt the first time i watched it i've watched it twice Mm -hmm. i think for you and me because you do a lot of modeling online yeah. And, you know, I do the podcast and I do music. So you're consciously aware because you're always trying to game the algorithm or at least <laughs> get as much value out of it as you can. And honestly, like I have stepped I've stepped back from that mm-hmm. since like quarantine mm-hmm. because of the fact that it's made me reconsider what my actual goals are with social media. Yeah. And it's not necessarily to like gain followers anymore. It's like. I kind of just want to like use pictures that people take and like kind of connect them to like writing or these like thoughts that like pop up in my head. It's Mm -hmm. like for me now, it's just kind of like I'm not doing it to like 
gain anything yeah. because like I, I've done enough self work to like know where I'm at mm-hmm. that I don't, I mean, validation's nice. Reassurance is nice. It is. Um, but I don't want to like say that like, uh, gaining followers on Instagram is like on the top of my list right now. So I think this, that's a really good segue into one of the points that I kind of want to discuss is dosing of social approval. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, a, 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 a serious problem um, as it relates to the, 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 the ability for social media platforms to essentially have like an IV drip full of dopamine attached to other people's perception of you. And mm-hmm. I say perception because whatever you see on social media, you know, it's very tailored. And, yeah. you know, you, you, don't, you, you only see what people want, want, want yes, you to see, yeah. obviously. That's mm-hmm. not news to anybody. Um, how long did you, when did you start feeling like you you had gotten to a point after enough self-work to feel like, well, I don't really need to do this for approval anymore. Now it's literally just, I feel like sharing this with people. I think probably like last year, okay. um, around like this time last year, hmm. um, I was like having to reconsider the people that I wanted to shoot me or that I wanted to work with. Mm-hmm. And I realized it was because of the fact that I didn't want to work with people that were like in a sense and I even hate this phrase but like clout chasing Um. I was like oh no like there's no authenticity to your work you are just doing it to kind of like feel this like weird void uh in social media and I was like I want to stop doing that like I want to keep working with like my friends or people who kind of like I feel like connect with me on like my core values so yeah um which was it was weird and it was like a hard uh pill to swallow in terms of like ego because I think a lot of like social media especially when it comes to like even like people who uh, cross platforms like people who are using like Instagram to promote their TikTok and stuff to me it's kind of like this weird ego trip yeah I don't know it's weird because when if if you run any like if you're an artist or you run an online business Mm -hmm it's really hard to divorce what part of you, what, what part of it is you like your, your own personal need for approval and what part of it is you trying to advertise or market or what have you. Yeah. And I can't, I can't personally speak on it from a business perspective because of the fact that you're, you are making money mm-hmm. based on your business. Mm-hmm. I think from what I do with my social media, it's more uh, in a sense, like, I guess like a personal blog of some sort. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to, like, knock anybody for trying to make their money. But even that part of it, like, um, there, there's a really dumb show on Netflix right now called Emily in Paris. Mm-mm. It's dumb as hell. Um, so the dude that made Sex in the City made it. Okay. And it's kind of like that, only, like, like it, it, it just, like, literally, like, all of the cult- cultural touch points of, like, 2004 are in this, except it's 2020, so it kind of doesn't translate well. And she's, like, like she's, she's this American girl, and she's from Chicago, and, you know, she's like, you know, she's blonde and she's peppy and she goes to France and she's there and she's like, you know, all these French people are so mean to me. They don't understand me. And they, they kind of they, they, they kind of frame her as like an oppressed minority by being an American, like an all American girl in Paris. That's the crux of the show It's dumb. But um, it, it, it was also like it was like junk food. It caught my attention and I don't watch TV. My roommate wanted to watch it. I sat through all of it. Oh, man. Um, Did you guys binge it in, like, one setting? Yeah, it took, like, two days. Like, we watched half of it one day and half of it the next day. Gotcha. But she's an influencer in that show. Like, she works for a marketing firm. Mm -hmm. 
but she also becomes an independent influencer on the side. And the reason that I had that whole thing with Emily in Paris uh, was because when you talk about like having a personal blog, a lot of these massive companies are using you know, people with personal blogs who mm-hmm. refer to themselves as influencers in lieu of what traditional marketing agencies used yeah. to be. So yeah. if you're somebody that has a personal blog that maybe you were doing just for your own, you know, your, 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 your own leisure time, for lack of a better term, you, is, you can still get caught up in this apparatus. You can. Well, yeah, and that's like that's the whole concept of like of the influencer culture. It's because you want to see how many brands will like promote you yeah. and how you can promote the brand, even if you don't like the brand. Mm-hmm. Even if the brand is like, we're going to give you this certain percentage or and basically a commission cut and being like, hey, if you review our product or if you make a video with our product, we're going to give you this money. And it's like, well, that's like a false sense of how I'm living because I might not even like this product, but now I am have sold a part of myself and my time to have to do this now. I don't know how I feel about it. When did you get on Instagram for the first time? Oh, man. Okay, this is my thing. I was thinking about this earlier. I think my first um, like taste of Instagram was probably... 2012 when it was just pictures we didn't have stories i don't even know if we could see like how many followers you had on your page i think you had to go into like the settings to see maybe something like that i got mine in 2012 too yeah so but that was when the filters were like really intense like most people i think were using their instagram as this extension of tumblr Mm -hmm. like that i think that's when i started were you big on tumblr That wasn't like a value judgment. (laughs) I was just never really on it. Okay, so I, like, um, when I was uh, in high school, Tumblr was really big. So if you were, like, an art kid, you, like, tried to, like, outdo your other art friends on Tumblr. And I got, like, really into it, especially, like, queer culture now, I think, was so heavily influenced by Tumblr culture. So, yeah, I kind of got into it. Yeah, back 2011, 2010. We're going to get back to the, the, the social approval part. Why, okay. But why is it that Tumblr, is it because of porn? Like when they took porn off of Tumblr, oh, is that man. what killed Tumblr? Yes, absolutely. Okay, I was about to say, like, I just was wondering, well, why is it that they didn't like kind of go on to get bigger and bigger like all these other platforms? So, and yeah, and I think like a lot of people who use um can I talk about cam sites? Like, can yeah. I talk? Okay, cool. So I think a lot of people, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think a lot of people who are using sites like OnlyFans now, I think that they got started with their fan base probably like 10 years ago with Tumblr. And I think that's kind of like trickled into where we are now. I see. Yeah, I was just curious about that. But social approval, um, they have Jonathan Haidt, who's a academic and author he wrote a book called uh, coddling of the american mind mm-hmm. which talks about how you know universities are failing you know generation z because they're not challenging them enough for lack of a better term do you not just you're like you're shaking your head no i mean i don't think that they are and i also think that um i have a lot of uh feelings about gen z mm-hmm. and that's just because i am so close to gen z but are you like, not no, uh, I don't know. So I've had mixed conversations about this. Yeah. So what is what's your take on Gen Z? It's my understanding that it's 
1996 and beyond. So I'm 1993. Okay. Which is even still cusping it. Yes. Because millennials like start in 81. Yeah. So I was born 96. Uh-huh. And what I have heard is, yes, the cutoff is 96, like mm-hmm. age wise. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can still be considered a millennial if you lived like if you were influenced by pre 9-11 and if you can like remember things like dial up. Right. And so that's why I'm kind of like on the fence about it, because my parents like raised me pretty guarded. Um, My brother, not so much because he's the baby um, and he just turned 22 and Mm -hmm. he very much so is like, I don't really remember anything like after 9-11. The 9-11 and the Internet on the front end are definitely probably the two biggest determinants. Mm-hmm. I remember having dial up. I remember when nine 11 happened. Same, yeah. um, what most people would say is that Gen Z are the people that don't remember a time without smartphones, social media, et cetera. Do you remember like, be- like things before that? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I remember CD wrong. Same. We, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, like I was, I was young, obviously yeah. the other way to look at it would be like, like your your hardcore millennials are the people that came of age during the two thousand eight financial crisis. So they were like coming out of high school mm-hmm. and college as the job market was falling out. Okay, that's the yeah. other way of looking at it. Okay. But I think you and me are just kind of on the cusp. Okay, yeah. Um, but you know, I I I remember I remember when there wasn't MySpace. Gen Z doesn't remember MySpace. That is, that I is, remember MySpace, but I like didn't grasp MySpace. Like I had one, and mm-hmm. like you know, I had like a little song on my page and all that jazz yeah um but yeah i don't really like remember myspace being like a huge influence Mm -hmm. what they're tying to uh social approval is the addiction to it rather jonathan Hyatt was pointing out some of these statistics from 2009 to today i guess that would be 2020 um hospital admissions um for non-fatal self-harm um, and I guess I should put a trigger warning before I say the rest of this, but um, they're up 189%, um, I think, for girls who are like preteens, like 10 to 14, um, which is almost triple. And then um, with the suicide rate, same deal, um, it's gone up 150% for eight girls ages 15 to 19 since 2009. And the idea being that so much of your interactions are happening online and thus the way that you fit in with other people and your understanding of your perception to other people is totally filtered through online content. And so there's that part because we all have a need to be like liked and understood and belong and whatnot. But there's also always, you know, the fact that you have a like button, you get notifications and whatnot that always sends a little hit of dopamine to your brain every time that you get it, Um, which the engineers that designed the software, clearly they, they, they knew what they were doing when they were doing that. You know, they talked about the um, the persuasive technology lab at Stanford University, mm-hmm. which was I've heard this explained both ways. It was my understanding, and maybe I'm understanding this incorrectly, but apparently this 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 was supposed to understand the ethics of technology and its ability to undermine human psychology. When I watched it the first time, I thought they were saying, "Well, this is how they're going to apply persuasive techniques to technology." I think it's kind of both. Okay. Because they're, 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 they're two sides of the same coin. If you have an ability to understand how technology can undermine basic human psychology, well, then you can clearly understand how to employ those tactics. Well, and then you can use that to manipulate people. Right. Um, 
I think it's interesting that you brought up Stanford because did you know that Tristan Harris went to Stanford? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think like, I think these guys are a lot smarter than what we're giving them credit for. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that they, and this is like me just m- maybe thinking too much into it, but I think that they know psychologically our connections to social media and mm-hmm. how much of an influence. I just don't think that they know how commercializing social media necessarily affects us. I think that they know exactly, you know, how um, we're connected to it because of the fact that we get that dopamine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that they have. I mean, they and they probably are now, now that we're in 2020, um, taking into consideration how companies can target that. Right. I'm not a programmer. It's it, I, I, I can see a scenario to where if you're like a computer programmer and you write code and whatnot, like that's kind of like your art form. Mm-hmm. You know, see what I'm saying? I think that they genuinely like doing it. And I think I think that most of those people went into the work that they did with the best of intentions. But the people doing the labor aren't the people who are writing the checks. And clearly the executives always wanted to monetize these platforms. But, you know, if you're there to be an engineer, well, you're there to write code and just make this as efficient as possible. I think what they missed was and there there was that one dude, I think his name was Tim Kendall. um, He was brought in to try to figure out how they were going to monetize Facebook. Mm -hmm. And what he went with was, oh, well, we got to set up an ad model. Yeah. but most of the people that were writing the code, you know, they're like, okay, well, yeah, this is how we're going to keep people on the platform. But I think in a lot of their mind, it was just, well, people want to, you know, connect with their friends. They want to connect with their family, you know, this sort of thing. And they probably didn't see the advertising model coming. Mm-hmm. And even the people that did, I don't necessarily know if they knew what it would turn into. And, you know, there's an, there's an argument to be had that they didn't care. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people probably didn't care. <clears throat> but, like, this whole, like, the doshing of social social approval thing... I don't think I'm not sure that people would have saw that coming. Um, you think otherwise? Well, okay. So when I was like thinking about this, um, for some reason, the thing that popped into my mind was Mary Shelley's uh, Frankenstein. Oh. That these guys, these like you know CEOs, these directors, um, in a sense, they are Frankenstein. They were like creating their weird technological monsters. They didn't know how these monsters were going to interact with society. They didn't know how society was even going to perceive them. And now that is this creation that is running rampant, it is, they've lost control. Mm-hmm. So now they don't know what to do. And I think that was the thing that made me frustrated with the documentary was that it was all of these guys talking about, we saw it coming. Yeah. We knew it was coming. And now we don't know how to fix it. That is a little weird, especially considering that it's also connect. You know, this, this is a Netflix documentary mm-hmm. and they're, they're adjacent to the social media world. Like, you know, Netflix has an algorithm too that yeah. recommends you shit based on what you watch. And it, it, it's weird to have, you know, mega corporation number one saying, see, look how badly these other mega corporations were. I'm sure they they advertised the fucking social dilemma on social media. Yes, they did. Um, it, 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 it seems like maybe, I don't know if, well, obviously, you know, people watch this. So it, 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 it I'm sure it's somehow connected to Netflix's revenue stream. But I also mm-hmm. feel like a lot of the people, Tristan Harris in particular, I mm-hmm. feel like this is kind of like a, a saving face kind of deal because... I, is, I hate how cynical this sounds. There's no putting this genie back in the bottle. No. This, this shit is out. No. Well, and also the thing about it, like, and I, you know, 
Tristan's just this, I think he considers himself an ethicist. Um, And it's just like, he has that like cool guy demeanor that you're like, dude, I want to like you. But I think he's so uh, condescending sometimes in the way that he says things. And it's just like, you are trying so hard to convince me right now. He has this whole um, like thing he talks about in his TED talk w- uh, with magic about how he was really into magic when he was younger. And it's just like, well, the whole thing about magic is that people want to be able to basically deceive you and get you to like win like well for them to win you over or to convince you of something and that's what he's trying to do he's just trying to convince people that yeah it's inherently good but there is still inherent evil within social media okay so you're bringing up an interesting point and to me to me this was this was what really left me dissatisfied with the documentary because they basically get to the end and he says himself people are the problem Mm-hmm. and social media is just revealing what, and I, I I tend to believe that that's true. Like assuming that we were like, assuming that, that we never did anything wrong, social media as a tool could only be, it, it could only be good. It, you, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. The, 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 the argument being like, I think that for me, the scariest thing about social media seems to be its ability to, isolate people into echo chambers which then manifest themselves in the real world by you know you've got a group of people over here that have their own understanding of what is real in the world and what is not and that is what informs their politics and you have a group of people over here who have an understanding of what is real and what is not and that informs their politics and once you're starting at that point there's no way to talk to the other side and in the long term especially as the economic condition in this country continues to decrease, if people can't talk to one another about their problems, the only thing they can do is fight. Well, and that just becomes more polarized right now with us being in the middle of an election year. So it right. doesn't really and and, and, and yeah. that I mean, like a lot, a lot of a, a, a lot of the disparity in belief in what is true and what is not is is evident when it comes to the election, like mm-hmm. or or even 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 the pandemic. Yeah, I mean for sure. Um, there there are people that. For like in the early days of the pandemic, they were people that thought that it was like caused by five G or something like that, right? There, there's still people that genuinely believe that. Yeah. Okay. And there, I guarantee, there's information on the internet that verifies that belief. Yeah. Um, there's no information that I'm aware of that makes that plausible. But regardless of whether or not it's real, what do you do about all the people that believe it? when we're all trying to stay safe and their their rationale for like not wearing a mask or not social distancing is, oh, well, it's a hoax or, well, it's a conspiracy. It's this, it's that. I genuinely do not know like how to, how to deal with those people. I think my closest thing is dealing with people who I guess are a little, a, a little bit more moderate mm-hmm. uh, in their views, mm-hmm. like n- people that aren't necessarily full-blown conspiracy theorists, but mm-hmm. people who legitimately are just like, well, I'm one person, right. but what can I do? Like, what is, like, you know, I'm just trying, or the people with the I'm just trying to live my life mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, well, you, if you are trying to live your life, I hope you're li- trying to live it safely right now. Like, right. I hope you're trying to adhere by wearing a mask or like washing your hands frequently. I don't know how to um, keep educating people to have common sense at this point. Okay. So let, let's, let's, let's work down this, this, like, this, this tree go. of design. Okay. okay. So you, you, you had companies, engineers, 
and executives. Yes. So these companies are here to make money. The engineers are there to do the groundwork. The executives are there to figure out a way to monetize. The way mm -hmm. they chose to monetize was saying, we're going to attach this to ad revenue. We need to make these platforms optimized to selling people, not just anything, but selling, selling things to people that are specific to their needs and interests. Mm -hmm. And where they got manipulative with it was, well, you know, we, we have to make this a positive experience. We have to send them things that they are likely to engage with, okay, which is clearly manipulation. So that's mm -hmm. bad act number one. Yes. But that's on the engineers and the executives. It's not on the machine because the machine can only respond to what you do and is there to maximize the value out of your actions and your attention. But, you know, it's not, it's not making decisions. It's not sending people flat earth videos because it wants to fuck the world up. <laughs> Um, when it comes to the user, mm -hmm. if you fall down a flat earth rabbit hole, it's because you already have an interest in conspiracy, like, cons like conspiracy theories. Yes. Yeah. Um, they gave an example on Sam Harris, Sam Harris's podcast where he was talking to Tristan Harris. That's who it was. Um, where, and you know, Sam Harris is a dude that I have a lot of problems with, but this interview with Tristan Harris was actually very, very good. Um, they gave an example with like new, new, like new mothers who were surfing around on Twitter uh, looking for information on how to make their own baby food. Okay. And a lot of these women ended up in QAnon and the, 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 the way that it went was, it was, it was like this. These women, for whatever reason, I guess they, they probably didn't want their kids having all these weird preservatives mm -hmm. and additives and all this stuff in the food. So they were making they were looking for information on how to make good baby food at home. Okay. And that would lead to women who were into making their own baby food, but they were also into anti-vax. So it was like uh, a Venn diagram. And then you add another circle of women who are into making their own baby food, anti-vax, and the third level would be like women who are into QAnon. So what the algorithm is responding to is not somebody's concern for their well-being of their child, which is only natural. It's mm -hmm. the right thing to do. There's probably a lot of gross stuff in baby food. But what it points to is there, there's a fundamental source of distrust, mm -hmm. right? And if, 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 if that becomes evident based on what you interact with online, it's not necessarily going to keep showing you, if you're on YouTube looking for videos about like making your own baby food, it's not necessarily showing you more and more of that. It's showing you what you might be interested well, in. Well, it's showing you the extreme. Yeah, but, you know, like, the, the, the extreme is attractive to people. It is. Well, yeah, you know? that's what gets you hooked. Yeah. So th there, another com comparison that Tristan Harris makes is um, with young women who look up dieting videos mm -hmm. on YouTube. He talks about, so you might go into the browser, you might, you know, type up some new dieting fad, and the extreme of that is to pull up videos on bulimia and anorexia. Because that's the extreme of dieting. And so it puts it in your brain like, okay, cool. I'm looking for information on this one this one topic. I wasn't expecting to go down this hole of this is what could happen to you if you really take this too far. Uh, and I also think that that's what causes us a lot of anxiety about things. I mean, I'm a high anxiety person to begin with. I have anxiety about 
everything. Um, but if I, I mean, and I know it now, so I think like that might also cause me more anxiety is because I am aware of it. Um, but if I were a person that wasn't fully aware of that being like, Oh, well I can't go on this diet or, you know, I'm going to restrict myself too much to the point where I'm going to have these issues. Like, I mean, I would be in a sense terrified, but like, that's also the world that we live in is that the things that pull the extremes out of us on the internet, or what terrifies the most about each other? Yeah, it you know I from from that perspective I I I do see a way to say well this was definitely this is not an inherent problem with us as a species but it's a problem with the technology mm-hmm. but it still highlights the fact that it's able to take advantage of very specific weaknesses and vulnerabilities in human psychology. Yeah. Because on the surface, like like it, it's 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 a long jump from baby food to QAnon. To Q- Kinda, like if 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 you're if you're if you're taking the interest and belief system at face value, sure. If you're pointing to the element of distrust, mm-hmm. which nowadays there's a lot of reason to be distrustful, yeah. Um, then it becomes a totally different story. That that that's kind of the point that I'm making. But either way, it's here now. Um, it's here now. It's uh, and it's a scary time to live in. Yeah, um, this this year hasn't really been fun. Um, and <laughs> honestly, it, it, you know, six weeks ago I was watching a lot of news videos and maybe a little prepping here and there. That's what my I had a cut from that. So with also same. like going to school for political science and then watching the news and then getting an assignment that comes in that week of being like write a reflective piece on this topic. I'm like I can't do both. Like I can't oversaturate myself with like news that I'm watching. Or, like, even getting on Twitter and then being like, well, now I have to do a research paper. I'm like, this is too much. Like, so I had to, like, separate myself from watching it for a while. Um, But then last night I decided to go back and watch the debate from Thursday. And that just, that ruined my night. It really did. Yeah. So I saw it. Uh, it wasn't as bad as the first one. That's not, and obviously that's not saying much. What, What, was there anything in particular that stressed you out about it? Not really. I think probably the thing that like made me the most frustrated is just hearing Trump literally whine like a 10 year old. Like he has that whiny voice Mm -hmm. and (laughs) (laughs) he does. I mean, everything about him is frustrating, but he just has that whiny voice where literally at one point I was like leaving my living room and I heard him respond to something that Biden was saying. And he was just like, but, but, and I was like, Oh, you're coming out with that. Like just, I don't know. And then with him trying to bring up stuff with Biden, with Russia, and I was like, wait, hold up. Are you just trying to, like, spin this on him? And then he brought up stuff about China with Trump, and I was just like... I, I'm done. Like, and I didn't watch it Thursday because I was going through the thought process. I'm like, I already voted. Do I really want to put myself and, well, through this? That's kind of the dumb thing about the debates because, like, I think as of right now, like, 51 million mail-in ballots have already been like sent yeah. in, and then people are obviously standing in line and voting and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so few people that are undecided. Like, yes. I don't even know if there are really any. This At is just, this point, yeah, no. this is just something that we have to do, I guess, to drive ratings and whatnot. And mm-hmm. we all tune in for some reason, knowing that it's going to be a bunch of bullshit. 
Um, I I'd kind of honestly checked out of most of it because the first thing they asked was how each of them would handle COVID going forward. And the first thing that Donald Trump did was say, oh, it's going to be over soon. We're turning the corner. There's nothing else to worry about. And I'm like, dude, what? we're literally worse than we were yeah, in, in, in March. Yeah. And I... No, never mind. Well, and then he just, you know, he continued and Biden was like, you know, it's going to be a cold, dark winter. And Trump loves to do this thing with his followers where if something is said and he doesn't, he tries to like pacify it. And he was like, no, it's going to be fine. People are going back to work. Like, we're going to get over this. Winter's not going to be cold and dark. I'm like. I have friends who haven't even received stimulus and that are still in yeah. unemployment. And you're telling me that it's not going to be a cold, dark winter. Steven People never are, got his. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's awful. But yeah, I mean, People who are already trying to like get jobs and are trying to like you know food prep and like hoard mm-hmm. food and dry goods and stuff, it's like okay, you're gonna tell someone who is under that mentality that it's not gonna be a cold, dark winter. Yeah. Wow, okay, that I think that for somebody like like the president, when you're as rich as he, and I'm not even t- like because I, I low key he's like a broke rich dude, but yeah. obviously his dad was rich. I when, also appreciate the fact that you call him the president because I refuse to like I refuse to have that phrase come out. I just say Trump. Yeah, most of the time I say Trump. That, I don't yeah. know why I chose president that time. <laughs> okay. um, I, I will say I don't expect you know and any, anything could happen. I do mm-hmm. not expect him to edge it out. The way no. shit's looking right now, I, I don't. do not expect him to edge it out, no. which will be better for all of us. Yeah. Um, but uh, when you have grown up rich and mm-hmm. you were not used to hearing the word no you it, 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 it certainly appears that he thinks that he can bend the virus to his will he's like if you just pretend like it's not there and just and just not think about it yeah it'll go away and then now look bitch you caught it you got fucking sick that's insanity and but that i mean that his all of his behavior points to that like it, yeah. it wouldn't even be like if we're, if we're gonna take like a totally objective look at it all he had to do was take it seriously. Well, yeah, and but you also have to, like, if you look back, you know, a couple months ago, what the RNC looked like, mm-hmm. he did not care. And he has not cared. Right. The fact that there were hundreds of people, like, I mean, yeah, they were outside, whatever. Mm-hmm. But there are just a hundred people just hanging around maskless. Right. And then weeks later, we find out that Trump has COVID. Mm-hmm. I know that he doesn't care. What what What, what baffles me about it is that. It is in his own best interest, if he wants to get reelected, to take it seriously. Yes. It is in his best interest to say, how do we keep people safe? How do we make sure they have income while everything is under lockdown? Mm-hmm. Okay? Like, eat, like, some of the people that voted for you last time, who were maybe like... Are not going to vote for you this Exactly. Time. Yeah. Just, just because of that. Because, mm-hmm. like, this thing has already, has, to varying degrees, has kind of ruined or disrupted just about everybody's life. Okay, all people want to do is get back to normal. Yes. The way that you do that is facing the problem head on, yeah. not pretending like it's yes. not there. Yeah. And especially for somebody that is so concerned with himself, you would think that he would see it in his own best interest to say, "How do we keep people safe? How do we make sure they have income during the shutdown?" Oh, we're also talking about a man that went bankrupt. So yeah, I mean, he. I, I. I don't think that he's playing with a full deck. No, I don't. No. Um, but. You know, it is what it is. Um, so QAnon. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, so um, QAnon is weird because I feel like 
it, first of all, it, it, it's batshit. Yeah, it, it is. It, 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 it's insane. It's... Um, mm. I, I do find it a little odd that some people are as taken aback by it as they are because... It, it's a conspiracy theory that's that's rooted in like Christian mythology because yes. like Satan is the middle part of it. Yeah. The, the weirdest part of QAnon to me is that Trump is the one that is supposed to save everybody. That's the strangest part. That of is it. the strangest part. Um, but the 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 fact that people believe in Satan worshippers who eat children, that part is like, well, most Americans believe in Satan, so I, yeah. <laughs> like that's that that's that's doorway number one is that you believe in oh. Satan. QAnon, oh man. Um, so yeah, the thing about QAnon is that people who follow Q think that Q is Trump, <laughs> but yet, and they think that the country is ran by these like weird reptilian pedophile people, mm-hmm. but yet they don't want to talk about all these pictures of Trump with Epstein. Yeah, okay, that is ironic. Can you explain this no, to you me? you got and that I mean that I don't know if that has something to do with like these echo internet chambers. Like literally Trump is one of the wealthy elite people that literally flew on Epstein's plane. Yes. <laughs> that no, you've got a good point there. Now that and that we don't you, talk about you that. and I guess what they would probably say is that oh well that was part of the deep state. He was doing intelligence to figure out what 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 no. what the, the the cabal of pedophiles was doing. Also the thing that really like irks me about people who follow QAnon and who support Trump, they don't want to talk about these weird, creepy pictures of Trump with his daughter, mm-hmm. like where she's like sitting on his lap and he's like grabbing her legs and just like all the comments he has towards his daughter really freak me out. Mm-hmm. And as someone who has a healthy relationship with my father, he would never once put me in a position like that. Mm-hmm. And then let people take pictures of me in these like weird seated positions on the like it really bothers me. And it's just like if he and this is like might be a little far fetched, but if he is that comfortable taking pictures like that with his daughter, that comes from something else. Yeah. There's a whole article from The Independent. All the oh, times no, Trump um, was completely inappropriate with his daughter, Ivanka. Ivanka <laughs> sitting on her dad's lap as they sit on a statue of parrots having sex. Uh, don't you think my daughter's hot? She's hot, right? He, this was when she was in the, M, the, the Miss Teen USA pageant. She's got the best body. Every guy in the country wants to go out with my daughter. Trump agreed with Howard Stern that his daughter is a piece of ass. QAnon debunked. <laughs> Trump is the fucking cabal. It's Trump. Surprise. It was him all the fucking long. I don't know what's going on with that family. Um, I don't want to know. Yeah, and, you know, ultimately, like, you know, it, it's it's nobody's business, but it's creepy, and it's unfortunate, and it's sickening, which we, we already knew all that shit about Trump. Yeah. But to, to the point about QAnon, yeah, like, is, is he not the dude that you're talking about? He's rich, or at least he, like, looks like he's rich. He flies on private planes, and he clearly has a penchant for... for, for, for for women that are certainly younger than his age group. And, you know, I don't want to obviously throw around baseless claims and whatnot, but it's creepy shit. Well, and from what I've been able to tell, most people who <clears throat> support QAnon and, you know, follow it are just middle class working people that want to, like, entertain this, like, conspiracy side of it. And it's just like, okay, if you think that Trump is your savior, how do you feel about Trump paying less in taxes than you have? So, 
okay, so follow where I'm going with this. Okay, let's because go. you're 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 definitely right that there is an inherent class dynamic to this whole QAnon thing. In 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 so, in the social dilemma, they talk about Myanmar. Mm-hmm. So basically, what happened in Myanmar was uh, the 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 ethnic majority in Myanmar engaged in ethnic cleansing and genocide against the Rohingya Muslims. Mm-hmm. Facebook was a critical part of that because uh, at that time, Myanmar was under a military dictatorship. They would co-opt or make fake Facebook profiles that were supposed to mimic those of like famous people and whatnot, and they would spread propaganda against the the Muslim minority. And they the military um, used it to essentially um, justify the violence against these people. I can edit this out later. I'll see you later, Taylor. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Bye. Have a good day. <laughs> um, so the, the, the military was using Facebook as a means to spread false information about the Muslim minority that lived in Myanmar. Mm-hmm. And apparently a lot of these dudes were like flying to Russia to like learn how to spread false information effectively. I, I know Russia's a whole thing. Yeah. But what one of the... Um, one of the generals who kind of masterminded this operation said was that, like, if you want to propagate propagate false information, you just have to make sure that, like, 25% of it is true. And when it comes to the people that are into QAnon, to the, the, Satan is real because most of them are Christian, which, yeah. like, isn't objectively true, but in their mind it's true. Yes. The other part of it is, like, you know, Obama is in it, Hillary Clinton is in it, Tom Hanks is in it. Like, it's all... The, the coastal elites, it's the coastal rich people. And when, when, when you're white and working class and you live in, you know, the country's interior, you view those people as their enemies, not only because their cultural beliefs conflict with yours, but also because we, we've kind of set up the, the, the economy to basically benefit people that work, you know, in the cities and offices and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So they fundamentally view those people as, you know, their enemies. Yeah. Um, and once you've identified somebody as an enemy, then it becomes a whole lot easier to justify your dislike for that person and dehumanizing them by saying that they're a Satan-worshipping, child-eating, pedophilic cannibal that Trump is here to save you from, which that's the part where it gets weird. But you see the pieces of, like, the economic um, uh, the, the, the economic anxiety and the culture war and the Christianity all fitting into this bizarre thing to where it's like, see, Trump, he's our guy. He's our hero. And the odd thing about QAnon is, like, it might have been a troll that was just fucking with those people. <laughs> <laughs> like, it really, like, we don't know that it wasn't. Um, and it probably, like, it probably was. I think this was, like, some 4chan shit. Yeah, no, and I think it's just, it's got a lot of popularity, and it's yeah. just, like, people are feeding the fire. But it, it ended up resonating in a way that whoever started this shit, I don't think, anticipated. Um, How do you think QAnon is going to affect people getting um, vaccinated? Oh, I'm sure that there's going to be a whole fight, not just from QAnon people, but from a lot of people when, when the when the vaccine comes out, because it looks like mm-hmm. it's coming soon. Yeah. There are going to be a bunch of people that don't take it. I don't know, like, because everybody's going to think it's a microchip, and, oh, that, you know. Oh, my God. Well, people thought it was a microchip just getting a COVID test. Yeah, I, you know, it, it, it it's, it's, this, this is, like, I, I always try to understand why people do the shit that they do, and it is... 
it's lazy just to say, well, they're dumb or they don't understand or they're crazy. There's a reason why people act the way that they act. Yeah. When it comes to the fundamental distrust of the institutions that are supposed to protect us, mm-hmm. a lot of that comes from the fact that they've not done a good job. Yeah. You know, they, sure. they, they've, they've left average people out to rot. And basically they're there to get these accolades and all these credentials and say, hey, everybody, look how great we are. That's why you should listen to us. And people resent it. And when mistakes happen, they, 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 they use those mistakes as a justification of that resentment. And the easy thing to do, you know, if you've got an MBA and a corner office job is to say, look, those people need to listen to the scientists and I don't understand why they're not doing it. And it's like, well, you're right. They should be. But what reason have the institutions in the in, in, in not only in the United States, but in the West, given these people to listen to the people that are there to protect them? Mm-hmm. That and, and what it, it, it fucks everybody is what ends up happening. Yes. Like you, you can't. Have a bunch of pe- you can't fight a virus with when people aren't wearing masks. You can't fight a virus when people won't get vaccinated. But you also can't get them to do those things if they have disdain and resentment and uh, all this distrust for the people that are telling them to do it. Yeah, I'm gonna give a very specific, Sorry. tangible <laughs> example, like with, with with Anthony Fauci, and we haven't even talked about how social media like amplifies all of this. But like with with Anthony Fauci. Super smart dude, super hardworking dude. Um, the best resource that anybody in the United States has as far as how to stay safe. Not only did he basically get into it with the Trump administration because Trump was afraid that he was going to fuck up his economic numbers, which would have happened anyway, but you know, not only did they not listen, they made a critical error, and I don't think this was totally him. This was like he was the mouthpiece for it, but I think this was a CDC and World Health Organization uh, decision. When the pandemic started, they told everybody, masks won't protect you, which they knew wasn't true. They told everybody that because they wanted to make sure that the healthcare workers had enough PPE for the onslaught of patients that were going to uh, flood the ICU rooms. Mm-hmm. Why the fuck didn't they just say that? They could have just said, look, everybody's got to stay home. We don't have enough masks to go around right now. Because what they did was they boxed themselves in a corner. It's my and it's over there. That's I'm it, doing okay. the Matthew McConaughey thing. <laughs> they, ba- they boxed everybody into a corner, mm-hmm. or they boxed themselves into a corner yeah. that now allows a portion of people to say, you, you lied about this in the first time, so you're probably lying now. Well, I mean, and then you had Trump saying that he didn't want to shut down because he didn't want to scare people. So I think that that's where that came from, is his administration being like, we are going to wait until the absolute last minute to actually try to be somewhat proactive. And I think, yeah, Fauci was probably put into a corner where he knew what was happening. He knew what was up. He knew that people probably should be wearing masks if they were out. We, I don't think we had shut down the country yet. Um I was traveling around the time the shutdown was happening. And I remember people in the Chicago airport wearing masks right before. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't like average people. It was older people who you could tell, like, were aware and were, you know, keeping up. Um, But I don't think it was necessarily all of Fauci's fault. Because think about this. If he had came out and said Mm -hmm. outside of the administration what was happening, he would have been considered a whistleblower of the time. Mm -hmm. And that caught, like would have completely taken him out 
in regard of us having the information that we do now. So I think he knew he had to hold tight. He had to wait until he got like the okay from the administration to present this information to us. But I don't think it was necessarily his fault. Right. Yeah. Just to to to, to be clear. You know, he he's doing a better job than anybody could have ever done in this situation. Yes. Right. Um, I'm just using that to illustrate the point that when people are presented with information that is later determined to be false, mm-hmm. that creates distrust, obviously, but it also causes disdain and resentment. Yeah. Especially when it's already there. Because, you know, he's, 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 he's an MD and a PhD. Yes. Well, my thing is, too, is, like, people have to have a little bit of, like, empathy for people who are put in stressful situations. And he had mm-hmm. the stress of the whole country on his right. shoulders. No, ab- absolutely. It, it's, it, 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 it's a mess. And you, it, we're, we're at this point in the United States where most of these institutions just aren't there for average people. No. And I think that regardless of whether you're like, you know, somebody who's like way into QAnon or if you're an establishment conservative or if you're, you know, a, 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 a cultural liberal, but you're, you're still doing all that neoliberal economic shit or if you're like a raging leftist, most people, except maybe that neoliberal but culturally liberal person most people understand nothing that is supposed to serve the average person is serving Mm -hmm. the average person right now. how do you feel about people who still consider themselves like neoliberals i don't understand how you defend that position i i I, I literally don't um and you i think that a lot of people haven't been presented with what exactly it is which Mm -hmm. we'll probably get into here in a second and what it means for most people in, in, in this day and age, in, this, in the social media era, their politics is only cultural. Yes. Most people do not have an economic political philosophy. Yes. Like if, you are on the, like if you're on the right, most of what you vote for is we, 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 need, we need religious freedoms and we got to make sure that, 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 that abortions don't happen anymore. And we got to support the troops and we got to support the cops and we got to fight socialism and all this kind of shit. Like most of your... Your 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 politics are rooted in in culture war issues, yes. and Republicans who are in office cater to that. Mm-hmm. Conversely, if you're an establishment Democrat, and you or or if you're a, a, a somebody who votes Democrat and you consider yourself to be liberal, most of your politics are rooted in you know, Black Lives Matter. We got to protect Roe v. Wade. We need equal pay for equal work. We need this. We need that. N- none of it is ever living wage, none of it is ever affordable housing, none of it is ever Medicare, like, they'll say those things, but it's always secondary to winning the culture war. Yes. Um, So, I think since a lot of people are stuck in that realm, they never really get to what the core problem in American electoral politics is, and local politics for that matter, because whether you're Republican or Democrat, what they all believe is that Government is there to make life easy for corporations because corporations is where all the economic activity comes from in the country. Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell believe that. Both of them fucking believe it. Everybody fucking stood up and clapped for Nancy Pelosi because she tore a piece of paper in half. It's like, you know, like she is equally responsible for the gutting of the American worker as is Mitch McConnell. And everybody stands behind their guy because they, they, they stand up for their cultural interests. All y'all are getting fucked. If you work for a wage in the United States, you were getting fucked. Anyway, 
So that being said, the only people that still like openly identify as like you know like these economic libertarians are people that just haven't been presented with the alternative yet, is what I would say. That is literally so frustrating to me. You have no idea. So I could go down a hole um, with this. I'm going to tread lightly because I'm not sure which one of my family members will hear this podcast. Uh Um, So I'm from Kentucky. Mm -hmm. I got to vote in Kentucky Mm -hmm. a few weeks ago. And it felt so good to vote to get Mitch out of office. Uh, And I think Kentucky, we're ready to see it. He's been, I mean, that's been his whole life as you know, his career, but just to see how repulsive he is, especially now that we have Bashir as our governor, he, he's been handling this. I was like so happy when, um, like quarantine started and I got to actually quarantine in Kentucky because like every day, six o'clock Bashir was like, I'm going to do a briefing. So like I can keep my people in my state informed as to what is going on. And, like, the ongoing joke was, like, okay, cool. We all know when we can get haircuts, when Bashir gets a haircut. (laughs) Because it just, like, wasn't happening. But the thing that, like, is so frustrating to me, which um, I'm going to dive into my background a little bit. Um, Being from Kentucky, I also came from um, an interracial family. My my dad is white. My my mother's black. Um, And the one thing that absolutely drives me crazy is how culturally left my family uh will consider themselves but how politically moderate and right they they still hold their fundamental southern values and my brother and i like every time we go home it's just us like hitting our head up against a wall because we're like you guys understand these things that we are passionate about that we see are inherently wrong with the system and they're like oh yeah the system is so flawed and we're like okay but like universal health care like raising the minimum wage and they're like yeah we get that like we agree with that and i'm like then why do you keep voting moderate why do you keep voting independent and they're just like well because we still want to have freedom of speech for ourselves and i'm like you have two biracial kids <laughs> yeah no, continue Oh no! That's I, I I don't know it. It's weird. It 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 it's weird. And K- Kentucky is an interesting case because my my dad is also from Kentucky, so he's from okay. Larue County in Hodgenville. Um, See, okay. Also, the weird thing about Kentucky, I'm from Western Kentucky. Mm-hmm. That's probably Eastern Kentucky. I don't know what it is. It's because Kentucky is this weird place. Yeah. It's like being from Western Kentucky. I more know I I know more about like Illinois and Indiana than I know about what the fuck is happening in Eastern Kentucky. I just know it's poverty stricken and it's awful. And that's what I want to get to. Let me let me give you a quick like a weird familial connection real quick though. Okay. So Larue County, where my dad is from, is right by Hardin County, which is where E Town is. Okay. Elizabeth yes. Town. Oh well, then that's yeah. That's okay. what I should have said. Mm-hmm. Like Hodgenville is like like if you wanted to scale it, it's like what Antioch is. To Nashville, yes. that's what Hodgenville is to E-Town. But, okay, but cool. e- E-Town's t- tiny, obviously. So when they had the Breonna Taylor, um, um, I don't know, that's literally one of the ultimate low points of this year. So Daniel Cameron, mm-hmm. who is married to Mitch McConnell's granddaughter. granddaughter. <laughs> yes. He, Dude. I don't know how I, like, okay. Bro, he is the ultimate shifty Negro. Obviously, yes, I can say that. Can. Look, white people, it's okay. <laughs> no, dude, that man. Um, I saw a meme where it was like, it was a picture of his haircut, and he was like at Great Clips or some shit. And they were like, you can always tell a man's loyalty to the culture by the quality of his edge up. 
Um, <laughs> and to be fair, like, I, look, I'm not going to throw shade. I need to go to the barbershop myself. But, like, I don't go to fucking Great Clips. They no. don't know how to cut black hair. No, they don't. Um, they don't know. Um, but he... Um, he went to church with my aunt, uncle, and and um, cousins. Like, in this would have been like the early to mid nineties when his family had first so, moved to E Town. So they know him. Yeah, like I don't know how close they are to him, yeah. but they they yeah, because it was weird because like I, I was doing some research on him. And I was like, oh hold up, this dude went to Hardin County High School. So I texted my dad. I was like, yeah, so Daniel Cameron went to Hardin County High, and he was like, oh yeah, the Mitchell's daughter. Yeah, she's the librarian over there. And I was like, huh. And then he texted my aunt and he was like, y'all know Daniel Cameron? They were like, Lord, yes. Yeah, they, you know, they're all clearly very, very disappointed, as is literally every black person ever. Um, Especially every black person in Kentucky. In Kentucky. Like, so in the summer, whenever the, um, like, the protests were really, like, ramping up, my brother and I, we just decided to go home for, like, a few days to see our mom. Because we were just like, this is a time right now where, like, black families have to have hard conversations. We have to talk about, like, how we're feeling, especially... And that time being in Kentucky, being a black person and like knowing that like I have to worry about my brother right now. I also have to worry about myself because I live alone. Like, what is this about to look like? I was like, I just need to sit down and like be able to look my mother in the eyes and be like, you're safe. We're safe. We're good. And that is the thing that was like so frustrating about it was that black families just had to like come together. They're like, we just have to make sure everybody's good because this is not good. And seeing how much, like, well, seeing how Kentucky didn't take it seriously and basically was just like, yeah, we know that there was wrongdoing, so we're going to deal with this payout. You know, we're going to have the settlement and give her family this money, but yet we're not going to charge the cops at all. Yeah. How how did that yeah, happen? I, it's, like, it sounds like there was some weird backroom stuff happening with the grand jury. Yeah. yeah I don't Like, I don't know what's become of... Because I think if they haven't done it already, they're going to unseal the transcripts. Um, it, it It's my understanding that they weren't allowed to consider murder, which I don't know if they would have got anyway, but it doesn't sound like they were even allowed to consider anything in that room. I mean, in, in that realm, like yeah. manslaughter or anything like that. Because I... It, it's almost like somebody must have thought if we have a grand jury and it comes back and we, if we throw them a little bone everything will be okay and i was like who 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 did that political calculus that was dumb um i i i i don't understand if they were going to come back with the bullshit they came back with why they even bothered sending it to a grand jury like, I'm looking at this from the Associated Press. Second Breonna Taylor grand juror criticizes proceedings. So it's like I haven't followed it super closely. It seems like the the account that was given to the public is very, very different than what those jurors actually experienced. Hmm. Um, it, 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 it sounds like they maybe got back there and they probably strong-armed them into whatever weird, oh, yeah, you shot a bullet into the house across the street, street. and that's yeah. why you're in trouble. Or maybe they wanted to piss people off. Like I don't, I, I don't fucking know. I don't get it. Um, I also can't fathom what it would have been like to be a black juror on that. Mm -hmm. Like knowing, like what you were seeing in the media and what you were seeing in the news. So here's 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 the deal. Okay. Okay. So 
a second person who served on the Breonna Taylor grand jury is criticizing Kentucky's attorney general, that's yeah. you, Daniel Cameron, yeah. for the way proceedings were conducted. The anonymous statement released on Thursday reiterated another grand juror's earlier publicized complaint that the panel was only able to consider endangerment charges against one officer uh, for shooting into Taylor's apartment. So they convened a grand jury for that specific thing. And that was it. And that was it. Which... Okay, so he being the attorney general, I'm assuming that he's the one that was that sent the indictment down. Yes, he has to be. They're 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 one or two person. They're they're they're, they're two possibilities. Okay, one he's a fucking idiot. Yes, one he was an idiot, and his chess match was okay. If I convene a grand jury, and I don't actually put them on the line for anything, but they still get charged for something, that'll shut everybody up. That, that's, that's possibility number one, that that's what he thought, which if that is what he thought, he's a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. Possibility number two is, okay, I done, I, I, I done married Mitch's granddaughter and I'm going to work my way up to being like the first black Republican president or be like a, the fucking a, a, the next senator from Kentucky or whatever his political trajectory is. And I'm going to own the libs and become a conservative hero. Those, those, those are the only think, two things that make sense to me. I think it's a mix of both. It might be a mix of both. It might I be a mix of both. Because I think the second option definitely takes into consideration the first, is that yeah. he wants to be a conservative black Republican hero, mm-hmm. but he is also, that's weak thinking, and it he is an idiot. Yeah. E- either 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 he's dumb as hell, or he wanted to piss people off in t- in, 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 intentionally. I think both. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, yeah, he's a dumbass dude that it wants wanted to piss, to piss people, people off. off. <laughs> Um, you know, it, but they, they, they bungled that. But what, what I was going to get to at Kentucky is that it, it, it is a place that is, is right. Like if, if Andy Bashir can get elected, it can go blue. It yeah. could. And I honestly, I really see it going blue this year. This time? Yeah. I, I, I don't doubt it. Okay. And that's also as many Trump flags as I see in like rural Kentucky. I think that between Lexington and Louisville and younger voters this term, I think it will go blue. Okay. I think it's going to be real close. Okay. This I'm going to like re-air this clip if you're right and be like, holy shit. Call it, if I call it. <laughs> they <you> called it. <laughs> please. You can call me up and be like, all right, cool. We did it. Um, but the thing. Mm, and also, I think it might not go blue for the presidential election, but we will definitely get right. McGrath in office. That's the one that's running against Mitch McConnell? Yeah. Oh, you think she's going to win? Yeah. Because she's the fighter pilot, right? Yeah. 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 And yeah. a lot of like older voters really like her because, mm-hmm. I mean, there's people like my my parents and like my grandparents who are like, McConnell has been in office longer than I've been alive yeah. at this point. And they're like, that's not fair. Like, they understand that we need to have term limits. Mm-hmm. Um, well, shorter term limits. Um but I see McConnell losing, mm-hmm. but it depends with the presidential election so, what happens. And that, that that and not this is true for West Virginia. It's true for Oklahoma. It's true for wherever there are like these these communities that are overwhelmingly white and very very often poor, but also conservative. There's a perception, uh, like if you grew up in like a culturally liberal household, that mm-hmm. those people are just beyond saving. And it's like, no, Mm-mm. you have to cater to their economic interests. Yeah. You have to say, look, there are no jobs in fucking West Virginia other yeah. than the coal mine. Yeah. So like either you're going to like invest in some green energy that like allow these people to work for a decent wage and take care of the environment and they don't have to work for black lung or, you know, you, 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 ha- you have to say, look. 
I understand that in this community, the only places you can go to get a job are Waffle House, Wendy's, and, and, and Walmart. Like, Walmart is the biggest employer in 22 states. Yeah. And a, and a lot of those Walmarts are in rural communities. Yeah. Um, you, it, it, you know, you, Democrats are just obsessed with saying, oh, nope, they're beyond saving because they don't agree with me on culture. And then if you, if you can win on economics, then you then have a door to have a conversation with somebody about the other stuff that we don't agree on. So my biggest thing is trying to convince moderate or conservative voters that live in rural areas that work for factories Mm -hmm. that have unionized. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to somehow talk to them or like work with them to win them over being like, hey, you see that a union works for you. Mm -hmm. You see that this is a leftist ideology that works to make sure that you are safe as an employer. How would you like to see that applied to your government? Yeah. And they, I, I don't think that they see it that far. It, I mean, it, so when it, com- when it comes to factory workers in particular, and Democrats and Republicans have gone a long way in making sure that unions are weaker than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. They make it really hard to join. But for factory workers in particular, part of the reason why they hate, like, Democrats, Clinton is the one that started all that shit. Yeah. Like, a, a, a Democrat is the one that, that, that killed the manufacturing base in the United States. Republicans didn't do that. No, no. And... Even though, like you, yeah, like you said, like unions, that is leftist as hell. Mm-hmm. Conservatives hate, hate unions. unions. There's a reason why all these southern states are right to work. But then there's so many conservatives that work for unions. Yeah, they. It's 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 complicated because the 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 Republican electoral strategy is, look, they already understand they're fucked economically. Yeah. We might as well just say that we believe in Jesus and everything will be fine. The way that you undercut that is start talking about the money. Yeah. But Democrats say. No, fuck you and your factory and your coal mine. And guess what? You, you're, 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 you're dumb and backwards, too. Yeah. Well, okay. And let's go back to Clinton because there's a lot of things that I don't, I mean, personally, I don't care for our Democratic Party as it is right now. It's a joke. I mean, it's a neoliberal joke. Um, but yes, you can blame Clinton for factory jobs. You can also blame Clinton for the street, the, the well, excuse me. For the three strikes initiative that yeah. he pushed, that like boomed our right. prison population. Right, yeah, literally so, more more so than Ronald Reagan. Reagan. Yes. Clinton did, did that. that. A Democrat yeah, did, did that. that. And so my thing is like, I'm also so tired of living in this like bipartisan, governmental, weird ass realm that doesn't make sense anymore. It's just like people like you and I, we get that like the Democratic Party is a joke. We also understand that like the Republican Party is a joke. I want to see either these two systems be completely demolished and we start with new somehow parties or we make it more acceptable to have multiple parties to choose from. Right. This is the scary thing with me because I mean, I, 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 the, 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 because you know, we're, we're in our twenties. Yeah. I think there's going to be a day where there's not like a two, a two party corporate duopoly like we have now. We're probably going to be in our like 50s. We'll, we'll be older when it comes, yeah. but I think it's coming. But what, what concerns me is that the conversation that you and I are having right now, somebody in DC has already figured it out on both sides. Ber- like Ber- Bernie Sanders showed what was possible. Mm-hmm. Somebody on the right has also figured it out because Donald Trump accidentally stumbled into the populist rhetoric. Don't think it was intentional. I think that he stumbled into it. Yeah. But when, it, when, when, when you have that sort of rhetoric with the right wing, it's always nationalistic. It's always 
like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I believe in populism. I believe in, like, you know, the right to unions. But guess what? They're only for the ethnic majority, i.e. white people in the United States. You won't be able to separate the the language of the left that, like, right-wing demagogues often co-op as far as economics from a lot of the ethnic nationalism. And then we're in a worse spot than we're in today. Yeah. So, really, the race in my mind is a difference between who's going to get there first. Is it going to be the leftists or is it going to be the right wing demagogues who have populist rhetoric but dangerous fascist policies? It's, it's, it's a race between those like over the next like two or three election cycles. That's the race. I would just like to see people who are more left leaning to mm-hmm. see us organize a little bit better. Yeah, it's I mean, it's so weird because it's like the pandemic and the George Floyd up, up, uprisings opened a lot of people's eyes to the ideology of the left, not of American liberals, but of the left. Yeah. But most people never really get past the social stuff. Like you, like, like when it comes to black lives matter, for example, like black lives matter as an organization and like, like the, the original founders anyway, yes. they had a very economic understanding of the relationship between black people and policing. Yes. But for like your average, like black lives matter adherent. Yeah. It's the police are bad. And then that's, that's it. That's the end. And those are the people that make me more frustrated than anything. Yeah. It's just like, yes, you understand that mm. this relationship between um, minority communities and the police, it's toxic. Yeah. We get that. But where does that come from? And historically, where has that came from? And that's where I think, like, if you are going to be a person that's like, well, I'm an activist now because I'm doing X, Y, or Z for the black community. I see a lot of that. And I even hate to say this because I don't want to call people people out on their stuff. But I think in a sense, it's like performative. It's a performative um, aspect of white guilt Mm -hmm. at this point. Like I'm, I got really tired in the summer of having like my white friends like send me like links and like articles and being like, but Chelsea, like you know, I stand for this or I did this, and I'm like, oh, that's awesome, that's great, but I think like that's just like common value that like that's something that you should do because it's what you stand for. Don't think that I need to like validate you or give you a round of applause for being a decent person. White guilt is part of the problem. It is part of because the problem because you 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 cannot you can't honestly understand racism unless you're understanding it in context to capitalism you can't but the way that like uh what's her fucking name robin d'angelo who wrote white fragility yeah the way that she understands it is exclusively cultural Mm -hmm. she sees it as cultural with economic effects yeah right like she doesn't see it as an ideology that was necessary to justify the shit conditions for white people under slavery and now. Yeah. Like you, and, and, and until you understand it from that lens, you can't like, you, you, you can't just like, if we all just, you know, understand systemic racism, you know, like what, what is the functional purpose of systemic racism? It's not just to say, oh, well, you know, white people get more than black people. I mean, that's, that's part of the functional result, but the functional reasoning is the control of resources. The control of resources and the management of people's dissatisfaction with their living conditions. I think it would be really interesting to see her do like a podcast or a panel discussion with like Michelle Alexander that wrote New Jim Crow. Mm. Like for her, for Michelle. Where is she nowadays? 
I'm like, probably in quarantine. Like, real Well, it's just weird. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Um, I don't even think that she's done, like, any panel discussions or also I might be wrong um, or any kind of, like, talk since last year. Mm. I think that was, like, her last one. The reason I don't know the, where she's been the only reason this. The only reason I was asking is because, yeah, I haven't seen much. Like, the ones that you see a lot of now, Robin D'Angelo, mm-hmm. Tim Wise, Ibram Kendi, who's black, because he wrote How to Be an Anti-Racist, but there's Tim Wise and Robin D'Angelo, mm-hmm. who are both white, and they, you know, they write books and do sensitive sensitivity trainings in corporate environments as if that's the fucking problem. Yeah. Um, like, literally, like, every, every corporation in America is like telling everybody to go vote and, and putting Black Lives Matter on, on their banner. It's like, if you were a corporation and you want to stand in solidarity with your black workers, start with a living wage. Mm-hmm. That, yep. that, that is your Absolutely. fucking Black Lives Matter cause. Yeah. Shut the fuck up about anything else. Yeah. But it's easy for you to get a graphic designer to put a nice Black Lives Matter <laughs> banner up on your fucking website. It's like Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, Amazon did the same thing. Yeah. And then, you know, like, clearly, they, 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 they are part of the problem. Yeah, they pay people sure. starvation wages compared to what they make. And then um, they had they had a huge COVID outbreak. They had a, yeah, they had a COVID, and that, yeah. they I think they fired. A, I'm pretty sure he was black. They fired a black. Um, let me find this dude. They fired him for being like a whistleblower. Make sure I got this name. This guy's name. I always like I I need to look more things up while I'm doing this. I just hate doing it because of that like awkward. Um, that awkward pause whenever I'm Googling shit. No, it's okay. I wish you had someone who could do your research for you. Yeah, I know. I'm not at that level yet. Like, I got to do all of the production stuff on my own. Is that your goal? Someday, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, God, where is that dude? Christian Smalls. That's his name. Okay. So let's get the story on Christian Smalls real quick. So Christian Smalls was fired after organizing organizing a walkout at the Amazon warehouse where he worked over safety condition safety concerns due to the coronavirus outbreak. So yeah, and again, this is a black dude. Yeah. So this is the same company that put Black Lives Matter on their website and fi- fires a o- o- over man. a legitimate concern. Yeah. Um. And that, like, is literally, like, liberal anti-racist ideology in a snapshot because it's all about virtue signaling and looking like you're doing the right thing. Um, Most, like, some of the things that could, like, change black folks' lives today is the same shit that America just needs to establish as a baseline. Yeah. Like, when 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 it comes to healthcare outcomes, black people have worse healthcare outcomes on average disproportionately compared to white people. And they have worse health insurance coverage. Exactly. I mean, or they just don't have health insurance in general. And then you have to worry about, well, if X, Y, or Z happens and I have to be hospitalized, I'm going to be in hundreds to thousands of dollars worth in debt. Exactly. Single payer, Medicare for all, that's mm-hmm. the starting point for it. Yeah. And like, you know, the, 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 the culture war answer to that question would be, yeah, but doc, you know, you know, doctors are racist, you know, sometimes, you know, and which that, that might be true, yeah. but you can't even accurately gauge how racist they are. If black people can't, can't get the through doctor. the door. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It stresses me out. It, it, it stresses me out. And I, I just, you know, like, obviously like, if you know, for, for the, for the folks on the Hill, 
they're going to do what they're going to do. But in order to put the right pressure on people who are running for office, people have to understand how their economic security is the baseline to any other right that you have in the United States. Sure, you have the right to free speech. Fine. You can't fucking exercise it the way that you should be able to exercise it if you're, 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 you're working two jobs just to keep a roof over your head before all of your other expenses. Yeah. Um, you know, it, anyway. We got way off the social oh, dilemma, that's okay. but that's okay. okay. Like, you know, I was, you know, we're, 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 we're just chatting here. Um, one thing that they always say when it comes to social media, like a lot of detractors say this thing to where it's like, um, well, you know, they said the same thing about TV and they said the same thing about comic books. How do you feel about people that say that? I think it's different. You think it's different? Yeah, no. And I think it's different because the fact that TV comic books, you could watch or read and step away. Social media is different because it has so much control over how we live our lives now. Like we have these little things in our pockets, in in our bags, on us at all times where if like, I mean, I bet it happens to you where if you're at work and you're just like sitting there and you're bored, what do you do? You get your phone out and you start swiping. You didn't do that with like a TV when TV, it was like a huge thing for the family to come together and watch a show and okay, cool. Show's over. We had dinner, everybody, that's it. Um, and so I think that it kept us more connected with, within our like interpersonal relationships. I think now that that has shifted to trying to find value in how we interact with each other like is it valuable enough for me to post this relationship or this interaction on social media and like i think that puts a lot of weight on people how people interact with one another i go back and forth okay all right i i don't know for a long time i was like everybody's overreacting but that Mm -hmm. was like I may have been maybe two years ago when I thought that. I don't say that we're overacting anymore. Over, mm-hmm. let, let, me, let me start by saying that we are absolutely not overreacting. Um, I think that it's already a part of our lives. It's not going anywhere. I think that we'll adapt and we'll move with it and whatnot. But what I don't think we're going to be able to fix is that echo chamber thing yeah. where, 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 where depending on who you are and what you believe and who your immediate circle is, the information that you have access to is diametrically opposed to the same the person on the opposite side. And given the deteriorating economic condition in particular, that is a recipe for calamity. That is going to fuck everything up. And I'm not necessarily sure comic books or, or, or television had that power because they're no. they're... You you had you have limited programming on television. Mm-hmm. There are only so many things that you can watch, yeah. and it's not designed to feed you different things. And you know, as an AI, it's not the AI doesn't even know what it is. It just knows it's a no, thing. And, I mean, our brains aren't even made to take in as much information as we consume on social media. Mm-hmm. Like to have things be so polarized and t- it's like, it's hard for our brain sometimes to compartmentalize all of the information that's coming at us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was definitely a lot easier to take that in with like just television, radio, comic books. Um, but yeah, I did. I don't remember I mean, even being younger, I don't remember my brain feeling this like overstimulated as it always does with social media. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's weird. Um, so yeah, do, do you paint or did I make that up? 
Uh, I, I mean, by hobby, but like not oh, so anything you, oh, you that I promote. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When during like most of the lockdown, I wasn't really doing like a whole lot. Like I was working on a couple of songs. And I don't think I quite started this yet. But other than that, I was reading a little bit. But I didn't have, like, a thing. Mm-hmm. And you realize that, like, if you start exercising or something like that, or, I don't know, whatever it is that you do, if you find time and something that gives you pleasure and dopamine outside of your smartphone, you realize you'll use it a whole lot less. Yeah, for sure. Um I don't know Instagram. <laughs> I, I've, I've gotten kind of bored with it. Um, now I like YouTube a lot, but Same. yeah, yeah. Um, YouTube is not as social as Instagram, mm-hmm. um, but it, it it still functions the same way. It can send I you down some rabbit holes. I think that's why I like YouTube. Mm. Um, it's because of the fact that I don't have to like feel like I'm like, yeah. you know, looking at my friends or like trying to compare how my day is looking, especially right now in quarantine. I feel like we use a lot of things on Instagram to like justify our interactions with people mm-hmm. being like, well, this person decided to go on a trip or this person is, you know, doing X, Y, or Z. So like trying to gauge our um, social like comfort levels right now, I think that is one thing that Instagram really plays into. Mm. So that's why I'm like, cool, I have to kind of like step away from this for a little bit. Yeah, that 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 element of comparison in emotional dosing isn't there on YouTube. No, it's just like you can, like I can put on, I've been um, like going back and rewatching a bunch of like clip like tv shows that i watched when i was younger so like it's really awesome for me to like put on zaboomafu on my tv and then just go read a book mm-hmm. just having something there as background noise to be like okay cool this is like a nostalgic comfort thing for me mm-hmm. i kind of like that about youtube the only thing i don't like is that it will just like continue mm-hmm. like if you put on a feed of like music then like cool you might be 10 songs in and then it's just like wait how did i go from like black puma to like now there's like heavy metal on my tv did not didn't see that that's that rabbit hole yeah um but yeah no i like youtube i think it's cool i i like that i can watch a podcast yeah um and that's that's the weird thing about podcasts um because in in for for most people they're still most people listen to them for the most part yeah but it's really hard to market a podcast with that video. Like all of like the prominent podcasters have mm-hmm. video. So like, Oh, well I better get a couple of cameras before I start doing this. Um, but yeah, like a, a, just as many people are watching them as there are listening to them. Yeah. Obviously if you're driving, you can't watch a podcast, no. but you know, going back to your boy Joe Rogan again, no. um, there's a reason that he records his cause it just adds another dimension of it. That's mm-hmm. not there when you're listening to yeah. them. Um, so what, what what exactly are your qualms with Joe, Joe Rogan? And there are a lot to be had. I'm just very curious about what yours are. Okay, I think like my first one was to start off, you know, I thought he was like kind of harmless in his podcast. Mm-hmm. And when he started having Jordan Peterson on, mm-hmm. I was like, buddy, no, like I could deal with you as being like the meathead that you are, Mm -hmm. but then you have someone who has this really weird rhetoric around like gender and how people want to be like referred to and how people want to go about like addressing pronouns. This is really archaic and I don't know how I feel about this. Mm -hmm. 
which it's like it's really weird to me it's like he'll have people on there like you know jordan peterson and like ben shapiro who are some crazy right wing fellas mm. um but then he'll have like bernie sanders mm. and then he'll have like you know i i like duncan trussell i think he's just he's, who is he he Duncan's like a weird comedian that's really into like psychedelic humor. Like oh. he just likes to talk about how he trips all the time. And like Duncan uh is like he's pretty close with Joe. And so I'm like, okay, so you have these guys who have some sense about how the system is flawed, but yet you're also gonna use your platform to promote these guys mm-hmm. who we already know are a problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's my problem with Joe. Yeah, his I think that's his um strength and weakness is his i think his genuine curiosity about people yeah uh, and all you know it, clearly i'm on the opposite side of the spectrum as jordan peterson and ben shapiro but you know they're interesting personalities jordan peterson more so than ben shapiro yeah. ben shapiro is just kind of a weird fucking complainy very much old school neoconservative that would like gladly have us invade iran tomorrow yeah. which even among like your 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 average like kind of alt right bro like online who's maybe into Jordan Peterson like they're not into that, that fucking no. interventionist shit. No. Um, but he he seems to and, and maybe 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 this is you know the psychedelics kicking in or whatnot. It seems like he holds all ideas with like equal pairing with one another, um, and he doesn't seem to have a verifiable political ideology. Yeah, no. Um, but yet he was endorsing Bernie Sanders. That's Well, that's kind of the thing. I mean, that indicates the appeal of Bernie Sanders in my mind, which yeah. I know obviously it didn't work out, but I don't know if he's primarily swayed by the level of people's persuasion or if mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders and his vision for America just really spoke to him. How do you think Joe Rogan voted this year? Well, last I heard, he was really uncomfortable with Joe Biden. He says, I feel like I might vote for Trump. I could see Joe Rogan voting for Trump because... You think so? This is the weird thing about Joe... Like, he... Would you keep watching his podcast or listening to his podcast if you found out that he voted for Trump? I only listen to it when there's somebody that I care about that's on it. Okay. I, I can't necessarily say that I'm a fan of him as a dude. Yeah. I don't I don't hate him, and I, I, I'm not necessarily ready to make the jump to say that he's a bad actor. Yeah. So, this is what I would say, and I would say that this is true for a lot of people who kind of dabble in that intellectual dark web shit. Yeah. They don't know what they're fucking with a lot of the no, time. No, they don't. Because, like, these, they've all been on his podcast at some point. Jordan Peterson is the most famous one, but, mm-hmm. like, back when, like, the I, like the intellectual dark web was, like, a thing thing. Well, he's had, like, Snowden on his podcast. Who also has an odd political slant. I think yeah. that he's just kind of like a traditional libertarian, and yes. your traditional libertarians are all socially liberal, but economically conservative, Conserv- yes. which yeah. is a weird flex. <laughs> I, I just think libertarianism is literally the worst political ideology like within the realms of what is acceptable, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Because... They like they're like oh well I'm socially liberal economically conservative but like those are the first dudes it'll be like if 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 there's a riot mm-hmm. well the police need to shut that down yeah. that's authoritarianism yeah, bitch yeah. that's not libertarianism no, no. 
<laughs> and not and, uh, dude, I hate libertarians so much. Yeah. I, I hate the ideology anyway. Yeah. Because they, they kind of don't really stand for anything. They're like, I want to be able to do what and I want. they want to smoke weed. They yeah. want to be able to do psychedelics and smoke weed. I want to do drugs and not pay alone. taxes. Yes. Yeah, that's what they want. <laughs> it's like they, that, that's, not, that's not a political position, man. No. Um, that's a lifestyle choice. I don't think I would, you know, if, if, if he had someone on that I cared about, I'd still watch it. Like, it... Mm. Canceling people doesn't make problems go away. No. Now I I make it when it comes to somebody like Bill Cosby or R. Kelly. Yes. That's a different thing. Yes. Uh, I'm okay canceling people who do like Weinstein level shit. Yes. Um. But most people say stuff. <laughs> most people say stuff or talk to people and then they get canceled. You know, like yeah. mo- 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 most people are not um, pedophiles or breaking the law. Yeah, I think cancel culture is a um, a weak cop out sometimes, mm-hmm. where it's just like I don't agree with this thing, so I'm going to completely cancel it and not have a constructive conversation about right. how we can like actually have some common ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cancel culture is weird, especially when it comes to social media. With Joe Rogan, he always because it's like with Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris. Brett Weinstein, not related to like the Harveys. Yes. Yeah. He's a di- yeah. This is a different Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They all have this weird political ideology. They're 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 all academics, mm-hmm. and they all consider themselves to be liberals or classical but yet they liberals. They want to denounce Marxism. Yeah. That that's the problem. Is that they their 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 political ideology exists almost exclusively in the culture war. And never gets at the economic reasons behind why people are losing their shit. Or they make these like vague statements that they're like, yeah, we understand that there's like a socioeconomic difference between like minority groups and, Mm -hmm. you know, the 1% basically. But they don't want to talk about concepts that would help fix that division. No, exactly. Yeah. No, right on the head. They they don't offer solutions to shit. They only talk about (laughs) what they don't like. They only talk about what they don't like. Mm even with the with the Marxism thing, and they all complain about it to some degree, but Jordan Peterson is the big one that complains yeah. about it. He, and he, you know, he's he's got a PhD. Mm-hmm. If you listen to Richard Wolff, who's like America's like preeminent Marxist <laughs> scholar, yes. most even Ivy League and they won't economics, debate each other. Yeah, they, because they, I think Jordan's scared. He doesn't because he doesn't understand Marxism. He doesn't because even even Jordan Peterson, who's been in academia as long as he has, mm-hmm. he's probably only read the Communist Manifesto, and that's it. And he 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 understands Marxism in the context of the pronouns and stuff. It's like, that's not even really Marxism. Marxism no. It's, it's not. Like, no. most of the people who denounce Marxism don't even know what uh, it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, or they'll just, like, say these, like, really weird comments and been like, oh, we're your crazy, like, socialist Marxist. And I'm like, what? Yeah, like, so what? Yeah, like, did, did you just say a mouthful of things that you don't know don't, the you, definition you, for? You, you don't know. Like, no. literally, even even if you're a capitalist, mm-hmm. like, what what capitalists call profits marxists call surplus value yeah if you were a capitalist you understand that in order to make money you have to pay your workers less yeah. than what they you produce have to exploit people yeah that's the basic tenet of marxism yeah like like you so so some some of the 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 a lot of marxism is inherently rooted in in in, in economics and mm-hmm. some you can't deny it. the part that i think like where it kind of veers off, and I don't even necessarily agree with this as it relates to Marxism, is that Marx was like certain that the conditions of capitalism would necessarily result in its overthrow. 
And I don't see that happening. Exactly. Yeah. I think that 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 is probably my my my, my biggest qualm. Yeah. And a, a lot of a lot of Marxism is still relevant. A lot of it was very very specific to factory workers, um, which obviously that's not the the primary mode of production anymore. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I just don't think that well. N- in terms of where we are right now mm-hmm. in society, I don't think Karl Marx would have been able to fathom where we are right now. Exactly. He wouldn't be able to process where like Jeff Bezos is sitting with Amazon. Right. So I think when it comes to that, yes, his terms um, and ideologies were probably a lot would would be a lot different now mm-hmm. um yeah he wouldn't expect people to just become billionaires and not redistribute their wealth in some way right so john maynard Keynes, i don't know if he's come up in your political science science classes mm, not yet he's like probably like the second most influential like left-wing economy like he's 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 further to the right than marx would be obviously but like in the realm of like people who aren't Marxists or socialists, he's probably like as far as left as you can go. Like his main mm-hmm. thing is like, it's okay for the government to run deficits for the public good. That's like his, his basic economic philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said something to the effect of that production is the, the primary, uh, the, the, the primary function of an economy mm-hmm. is to make stuff, which in the United States, the, most of the wealthiest people here, they don't produce anything. They move numbers around all day. They speculate. Yeah. And, the the level of like financial trickery that we have now, I don't think Marx ever would have been able to see coming. No. Um, and not only does that concentrate wealth at the top, it also just like puts a bunch of people like out of work with nothing to do other than drive for Lyft and Uber and Instacart. Mm-hmm. Um, but that part, I don't necessarily. I mean, there there there's still like leftist solutions to that sort of thing like and it, it, a lot of them could be very very simple like like not simple simple <laughs> um i mean capitalism is inherently sinful yes i mean now i don't believe in the concept of sin because yeah, that's no, a primary well, but i, I take another, your point yeah okay I, I i take your point i take your mm-hmm. point um i just like to do a little atheist flexing every now and again um <laughs> i don't know i feel like like it, 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 it's not like I, I could see myself being a Buddhist because I don't necessarily have a problem with religious tenets. I have a problem with belief in deities and not believing in a deity is different than not believing in something that is bigger or stronger or has higher cognitive or psychological ability than we do. Yeah. But like most deities tend to be centered around the idea of creation. Um, you have thoughts on this. This is just my personal no, it's okay. Just no, um, I personally, hmm, I don't know how I want to tackle this. Um, I personally, yeah, I, I'm really cool with Buddhism. Mm-hmm. I think like the major tenets are fine. Uh, I'm more on like the universalist train mm-hmm. where I kind of think like, you know, at least the main three, mm-hmm. you know, um, by main three, I mean like Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Mm-hmm. I think that they come from a original source, mm-hmm. and I think that all of this weird division that we have put uh, within these religions, like socially, politically, and even going to war about it, I think that's like a crazy flex to me. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, you guys all basically believe in the same concept of this of the same God, or you know, Allah. Mm-hmm. This this deity that you guys put so much mm-hmm. value into, I think it's, I mean, the same. 
So this isn't an original thought, but this is really the thing that made it all fall apart for me. Okay. Well, the thing that made it all fall apart was that, like, if somebody had asked me, oh, you're a Christian, why are you a Christian? The only honest answer that I would have had was, um, well, because my parents were. Like, you, you grew up in the church, right? Yeah. And I, and like, like I'm, you know, straight and cisgendered and male. So like, there are only so many bad things that could have happened <laughs> to me in church. And they, like, I, I can't say that it was a bad experience. Yeah. You know, I, I, my, my relationship with, we're, we're Baptist. My relationship with the Baptist church was not one of, of, of stress or, you know, but, but obviously like, like, I'm going to eat good after Sunday service. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, like my parents, like they're, they're not, and mo- most black church-going families are not the kind of people that like view the United States' relationship with Israel as contingent upon the end times. Yeah, like it, there was a very clear de- delineation between what was church and what was the well, world. Then there's also a really big difference between like black Baptist church and like white conservative Baptist church. Right. Oh, you know, yeah, massive difference. Um, like I mean, with my mom's side of the family, they're Baptist, mm-hmm. and like I mean, the only thing that they ever really like pressed me on was keeping my hair looking nice and then they had a whole like weird thing when like i came out uh and that was about it but Mm -hmm. like there weren't any like really core things that we ever like really stressed about now my dad did raise us in the pentecostal church for a while see now pentecostals are a different deal we're wild now were were these white pentecostals or black pentecostals what denomination uh like closer to like non-denomination like we still like very charismatic like speaking Mm -hmm. in tongues and like some of the elders would still wear like dresses and not cut their hair but it wasn't like a whole thing that everybody else did Mm -hmm. yeah it's weird a lot of a lot of there's like pentecostal chic in like the mega church because like yeah we were a mega church yeah yeah see that's weird yeah because they like mega churches more than anybody love speaking in tongues they love it, it. it's well because it's entertaining you want to see right. some like old lady running around yelling yeah that's that's awesome that's a highlight of service yeah they they've co-opted that element yeah because they they you know com- compared to an act like a, a church of God in Christ Church. Mm-hmm. A, a mega church is is, is 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 a little bit more modern, but they like having all of the the signifiers of like the old way. Yeah, is and they weird? also like you might have uh, like a sanctuary that you put like thousands and thousands of dollars of, like equipment into, so mm-hmm. you can like live stream it on some platform. Mm-hmm. But then you're also gonna have some like. 18 year old boy come up on stage like a ram's horn, and I'm like, what is happening right now? What is this? Um, my like shedding my religious identity if i ever really had one wasn't didn't come from a place of being cynical it was just that like i was i was at mtsu and i was hanging out with like these bible study kids and i was doing this <laughs> thing and it, it, to make a long story short like i was i think there was like a, a study of seven lessons that i had to do with this dude and like i got to like number 5 or something like that and he, he was the story about the rich old man or the rich young man and jesus was like look if you want to follow me sell all your shit and come follow me and he went away sad because he didn't <laughs> want to part with his possessions. And um, I understand the, the the moral lesson that 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 story is trying to mm-hmm. convey because it's not a parable. But I'm also not convinced that it actually happened. Um, but like, look, if a you know a grubby old like thirty something year old man came up to me and was like, "Hey, dude, sell all your shit and come follow me," I'd be like, "Look, I'm not going to no, do no. that." <laughs> but 
he's he asked me today he was like today you're the rich young man um and are you ready to to sell all your belongings and follow Jesus? And I was like, I don't think I'm ready today. And this dude closed the Bible. He's like, all right, that's fine, man. Um, We'll tell you what, I don't really think we have anything else to talk about, um, but if you still want to hang out and shoot pool, just hit me up and we'll hang out. What? (laughs) He just left me in the Starbucks. What? I wasn't mad at him. I was like, damn, what the fuck, man? Okay, cool. You were like, you're not even going to try to persuade me? Murfreesboro is weird, though. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And... Oh, believe he's one of the le- he's the least weird thing about Murfreesboro. Yeah. Believe me, like he's like on the surface level. Like you know, were you there when they had that KKK rally? Yeah, I was there. Uh, I lived in Murfreesboro that oh, year. Oh, no, yeah. no shit, I yeah. had no idea. I lived there with like an ex partner of mine. Yeah, we got there late, and we all you know. I mean, it ended up not really being that big of a thing. Yeah, but. It, everybody was scared shitless. Well, because they were like anticipating it to right. be like a pretty big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what ended up happening was after that lesson, at some point I came to the realization that like if somebody had come up to ask me and they're like, oh, I heard you were a Christian. Why are you a Christian? The only honest answer that would have been was, I, I, that's what I was raised as. I've never been exposed to any other belief system. Yeah. Um, that was the only honest answer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, hell, if that's true for me, that's true for most people who are religious, whether they're 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 Muslims or they're Hindu or they're whatever. Most people literally don't get a choice in the matter. Now, I have a lot of respect for somebody who maybe grew up as Muslim and became a Christian, or somebody that like, grew up as Christian and becomes a Hindu, because at that point you've made a choice. Yeah. You've you you you've gained access to some sort of information, and it's made you change your belief system on where the world came from and whatnot. But do you not think that that choice applies to you? Growing up Christian and then choosing to become atheist. Oh no, it does. Okay. That's but but what the the point was that I didn't choose another deity. Okay, gotcha. See what I'm saying? Yeah. A lot of people do, and I have respect for those people because at least they can say, "Well, I didn't grow up as this. Mm-hmm. I came to this of my own accord." Yeah. But most people go through life believing something because they've had no other reference point. Yeah. And if you're like, even though based on the text that we have, you should say that Allah and Jehovah are the same God. Yeah. They don't treat each other like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you a, a lot of Muslims don't really get a choice in the matter. They're born into Islam, and they just never leave. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's no way for you to really verify which one is right and which one is wrong. There's no way for a Christian to, 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 to make an objective case on why their creation story is more correct than the one that the Hindus have, who have dozens, if not hundreds, of gods. Yeah. That's that's my hang up with deity. It's like now you could be like some like super universalist that says that oh well there's like they're all connected in some way whether it's Hindus or Norse or this that and the other. I just find that very very unlikely. Um, but that 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 is the rationale behind my decision. Is that like if you invalidate one, you have to kind of invalidate all of them because the people on the opposite end believe the same thing that you believe. Yeah. Um, that and look, that's not that's not new. That's not original. Plenty of people have made that point before. The way that like a lot of like you know super militant atheists would say is that everybody is an atheist to most of the gods that have ever existed is the way that they say it. And I think that that's you know that that that's kind of a weird flex. Like you got to give people you know the agency to believe what it is they really want to believe. But um, for me, it's just you know if 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 I were born in Yemen. Mm-hmm. I would probably be a Muslim. Yeah. And, you know, not because I wanted to be, just I, that's what I came Service. out as. Yeah. It was as consensual as my birth. <laughs> <laughs> Which was not. <laughs> I like being here, but I didn't ask to be here. I 
Uh, yeah, I mean, but that was like an ongoing joke at like the beginning of quarantine because like things were real stressful, and I kept like looking at my best friend, being like, "We didn't choose this. Like, this is right. too much pressure. Mm-hmm. Like, you told me that I had to go through like this monumental time in U.S. history and live through a quarantine in my twenties. No, yeah, no, did not choose that. I um, one thing that I am starting to be more flexible about because. A lot of atheists are like, yeah, I just can't believe people believe this stuff. But, like, a lot of people, like, what else do you have to hold on to? Like, I think my thing was, like, I just find it, like, entertaining. Like, what is your belief system? Um, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm genuinely curious. Um, I mean, I definitely believe in a higher power. How I acknowledge that higher power is still kind of personal for me. Um, I think that like Gnosticism is really entertaining. I think like this weird combination between like the feminine and the masculine, like I see a little bit of like validity in that. Um, but it's still like for me, it's something that I like to take like inspiration from different things. And that's where I'll, I'll leave that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just curious because yeah. like I think for the most part, like if you're under 35, Unless you're like, you know, a Bible study kid or like a, a worship leader or a, a Christian camp counselor or something like that. Like, you know, mo- mo- most of us have a just a, a tangential relationship to Christianity because it's kind of like you maybe you grew up in the church, but you don't go to church anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I definitely like don't. Mm, I don't like mess with like like paganism or like sorcery and magic yeah. and all that stuff. That's like a whole other level that I think like. It once probably had value mm-hmm. and validity, but I think like where people are now with the whole like witch trend, it's Ooh. scary. And I'm like, y'all don't know what you guys are messing She's with. She's talking to you, witches. Okay, now you're taking a different spin on it than okay. me because All what right. what you're saying is like you're you're saying you might find something that you wish you hadn't. Which you might. I mean, hell, we're we're a week out of Halloween. Halloween is going to uh-huh. be on a full moon. It's that, coming yeah, up. Yeah, any anything is possible. Yeah. My thing with it is that I feel like most people who adopt some sort of pagan belief system, it is mainly a fuck you to the traditional religions. It is. It, it's kind of like a one eighty. Mm-hmm. They were like, well, I grew up as this, and this didn't work out for me, and rightly so. I, I mean, like like understandably so a lot of people have a bad time mm-hmm. in organized church circles yeah and they just do a 180 <laughs> i feel like that's a lot of people end up there well my thing i think my biggest problem is like i don't think a lot of like like people our age that decide to take on magic i'm not saying all i'm saying a few that have gotten on this whole like witch trend mm-hmm. um they have not educated themselves historically on where these practices come from mm-hmm. So my thing is like, I'm kind of like, I find it funny because I'm like, I'm kind of like laughing for my ancestors being like, yeah, this white girl thinks she's doing voodoo, but like, I'm just going to mess up like her bleach job when she goes and gets her hair ombre in like two weeks. And it's just, uh, yeah, I think it's kind of like a joke to to me to watch like white girls get on that like they think like they're like the new Stevie Nicks or something. Yeah, like no, that. I feel like a lot of a, a lot of women just want to be fucking Stevie Nicks and do the Fleetwood Mac thing. It, and it's just like like I don't even was she even actually a witch? She wrote one song about a witch. And then every she wrote said, one Nicks witch is a song. Nick. No, I mean or is a witch. Yeah, I just uh, no, I mean. I think that Stevie Nicks was like a bisexual badass. 
Was she bisexual? I think that's like the consensus. I, I like I don't know a whole lot about her personal life. I know that there was a lot of like you know intermingling in Fleetwood Mac, yeah. but I have not. I haven't necessarily done a, a deep dive into her biography. Yeah. Um. I mean, that's that's what I've been able to mm-hmm. to like find out. Yeah, that, that, I mean, she, she probably isn't like out, which I mean, kind of was like a whole thing mm-hmm. with. For some reason. Can we talk about that? Can we talk about like eighties music and yeah. why everybody was so like gender fluid? That's and, weird, like, isn't it? Bisexual, but yet none of them yeah. wanted which I mean I understand for the time, like it wasn't like a custom to like kind of come out or out yourself. But everybody was with everybody. Yeah, it's 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 very strange. It, it seems like in a lot of ways this okay. At that point, there wasn't a mechanism for people to have conversations surrounding gender and sexuality as they relate to people's identity. But outwardly so, it seems like it was more acceptable in the mainstream, Mm -hmm. not if you're, you know, like, you know, into alternative music or you're a punk kid um, or, you know, a a gender studies major at a university. It seems like in the mainstream, there there were more men who wore tank tops or like leather pants or we like had Prince. Yeah, Prince or even like even it was not as sexy as Prince, but Rick James. Like oh, there's the fucking yeah. album cover of Rick James. He's got box braids. <laughs> he has on red leather boots with fucking heels. Mm-hmm. People were way more androgynous. Like 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 the way the top entertainers were. Yeah, and I don't know. I the, did Run DMC happen? Like. They were like, no, we got to be tough and we got to be hard. We got to look like drug dealers. Blah, blah, yeah, blah. the 90s, I think, like, n- the 90s kind of, like, washed that weird, like, washed the weird androgynous, mm. uh, like, fashion and music. I wonder why that happened. I don't know. I'm trying to... Th- Is it... <sighs> the only... Com- okay, so, hang on. So, you, you use Prince as an example. Purple Rain was 1984. Yeah. I wonder... If there was some kind of like hysteria over the HIV that's epidemic, that's what I was about to say, but I didn't know if that was. Yeah, I'm not saying that's what it is. Yeah. I'm just wondering if that was what in the public in Do the you public think mind that it was like this like conservative hysteria. Well, and then also like in the 90s, we had the whole like satanic panic, so people were going yeah. back to like weird conservative values and which were trying to be like anything that was out of the heteronormative. Like sense that it was bad and that there's, we had to correct it. There's probably a connection between those two things. I feel like if if somebody hasn't already done that research, I feel like that's something worth digging into. Somebody make a book on that. Yeah, it 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 might already be out. But like uh, my uh, my roommate pointed out something similar too was that in the '90s, you had a lot more media that was like diverse, but it was honest. Yeah. Like, especially as it relates to, like, black sitcoms and black movies and stuff like that. It wasn't, like, a weird virtue signaling flex. No. It was just very, very authentic. And it's like, hey, yeah, we've got Martin. We've got the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. We've got Living Single. We've got uh, the Proud Family. We've different got... Different world was Yeah, on a, a different world. Uh, That's So Raven. There was a... Uh, uh, what was the other one? But I also appreciate how black TV back then had black family values Mm -hmm. like it showed like two parent households Uh and that's like the one thing that i also think like is sometimes missing in society okay now this is this is always a a point of contention for the black community is this is this two two family household thing yeah like you know how do you feel about it it's not that okay so i grew up with both parents Uh like i i don't know what it's like 
not to have both parents. Yeah. Um, I know that a lot of people of all, of, of all kinds grew up in non, non-nuclear families in one way or another. Typically, mm-hmm. that tends to be a single working mother. Um, that is disproportionately true for black people. One of the things that white conservatives and black pastors love to point out is that, you know, 70% <laughs> of uh, black kids are born out of wedlock and, you know, this is an outrage. We got to do something to fix it and whatnot. There are a lot of reasons on why that may or... That is true. There are a lot of reasons on why it's the case. Let me start by saying the way that most people frame that issue is one that says, well, kids need a mommy and a daddy to be well-adjusted and this, that, and the other. The benefit of a two-parent household is resources and time and money. Yes, I don't care what the gender, like, the gender of either parents. Yes. But I'm saying to make sure that a kid has enough attention and affection, you have to have support. Exactly. That That is, the, the primary benefit of the nuclear family is that the, the parental duties are spread around. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that That's the main thing. It's yeah. not some weird inherent need for both masculine and feminine. No. As it relates to black people in particular... Um, because conservatives, black conservatives, quite frequently, they literally, in their mind, the primary issue with black people today is is is, is that their their dads aren't there. Allegedly, well, Kimberly, we talk about the prison industrial complex, right, and why that is. Even before you get there, mm-hmm. because what conservatives love to say is that when they passed the the Civil Rights Act and um, the welfare bills in the '60s, mm-hmm. that that incentivized single parenthood is what is is the narrative that they they always tout what they never say is that the late 60s early 70s was also the first wave of deindustrialization um particularly in the upper midwest and in the north where obviously you know just 30 40 50 years prior a bunch of black folks did the great migration thing they left the south they went to go work in northern factories that was their economic base it got shipped overseas well, it's harder to find a mate when you don't have a job yep. or an income, yep. and a lot of people sink into despair when they don't have work. Yep. I would argue that that probably had more to do with the quote-unquote breakdown of the black family than welfare did. Well, then when also people don't have a way to support themselves and they right. do fall into despair, then they're going to self-medicate. And nobody wants, I'm sorry to say it, nobody wants a self-medicating partner to raise a family with. Mm, you're right. Because then not only are, is uh, one person taking care of kids, they're then parenting their partner to make sure that they're not like falling into a drunken stupor. Exactly. And then we get to the prison industrial complex because you have people who fall into, you know, they, 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 they suffer from addiction. And then you mm-hmm. obviously have to have distributors to sell the product to get mm-hmm. addicted to, which they do because mm-hmm. there are no other jobs to be had. Yep. And then you, 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 you go to war with those people and then you lock them up and give them these ridiculous sentences. And then now, now there are even fewer men to choose from. Yep. So literally, I would say welfare was probably the least. Yeah. Of the contributors, yeah. um, I don't know. I, I, I'm always wary of any kind of moral panic, like, just like because mm-hmm. it, it always assumes that there's a way that the world is supposed to be at all times, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like you know and that makes it really boring. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Hell, I don't know. So, what is it? What does a, a, a political science program look like these days? A lot of history courses, a lot oh. of sociology courses. Um, writing a lot of reflective pieces, which I don't even think that the professors teaching these classes, except for history, because history is just like, cool, I just have to like have you read this book or read this article and you write an essay on it. Um, but with sociology and 
political science, I think that the professors are just so overwhelmed because I think that, I mean, it is definitely coming from a leftist viewpoint of what they're teaching, which I think is incredible because it shows like the need for reform and redesign in our system. Um, but yeah, I think everybody is just like really overwhelmed with just like schools and universities in general right now. Like my brother is going for his MFA right now and he's just like, this is crazy. Like our school's going bankrupt and our school's just like telling people they have to go home because COVID cases are too much, but then they're not reimbursing people for housing. Are you kidding me? They're stealing your money. They're still people's money right now. They said, oh, you got a $1,600 vacation this semester. (laughs) <laughs> that's crazy as hell it's not really but like that's unfortunate um college is is kind of at this weird point because no i don't know it's just it's, it's jumped the shark it has it's, yeah. it's jumped the shark but like you know i've said this on this show before so you often if your parents have been to college you take it for granted that that's just what people do and it turns out that that is what most people do not do. Even in our, yeah. yeah, like even in our age group, yeah, about a third of people go to a four-year university. Yeah, um, most people either they start working straight out of high school, or then they go to they go to a trade school. Which I think we need to start pushing trade schools more For sure. because, like, what you like, you gonna have a bunch of accountants who can't fix shit. <laughs> what kind of society is that? Um, but it's also this kind of thing to where everybody's trying to get through the door because they view it as the only way. Like, that's how you establish a baseline. And, like, it's mm-hmm. the, the bare minimum is to have a college degree. And then you yeah. get saddled down with debt. And then there's still no jobs for you. My whole goal for myself. So, I, like, I dropped out of college beginning of 2016. Mm-hmm. And my whole goal to go back was I'm not going to go back if I have to pay for it. So, that's why I was like, I'm going to wait until I can, like, you know milk my FAFSA for everything that it is, get a good scholarship. Um, But that is my thing is that I want to stay in school as long as the government will pay for me to go to school. Yeah. Because I think they owe it to me. Right. Yeah. I mean, hell, they can, they can pay for fighter jets. They can pay for people to go to school. school. Yeah. I feel like, and that's, that's, that's really, you know, like we don't have to do all this, like, you know, dialectical materialism all this like (laughs) like highbrow leftist rhetoric like Mm -hmm. literally the only case you need to be making to people is that like if they're educate yourself well yeah educate yourself but the the persuasive thing to do would be to say that if there is money for 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 an armored personnel carrier in kenosha or minnesota or ferguson then there's money for kids to have adequate educational resources yes. or for you to have health care. They just don't want to spend that money on those things to make your life better. No. Yeah. That they don't. Well, they and they also don't care about just regular working class individuals. Yeah. Well, this turned out to be a lot different than I thought it was going to be, but that's cool. <laughs> like, I don't know. What were you expecting? I don't know. I kind of wanted to like. I feel like there, there's with the social dilemma. I feel like honestly, there's a whole lot less to say than I think we would have liked there to be. Yeah. Like, they, they, it's it's one of those things, and I think you were making this point earlier. They lay out the problems, and then that's it. <laughs> and then that's it. And well, then what just, the fuck do you expect <laughs> us to do? do? 
and maybe that's why i like was like okay i'm kind of getting bored talking about it because it's like information that i'm already aware of so it's just like yeah we know that these companies are kind of messed up i think for a lot of people that like just have a very very passive relationship with social media it was a lot of stuff they hadn't thought about before but if you're if, if, to, to some degree, if you actively try to understand how those platforms work for your own benefit, it was like, well, bitch, I already knew that. I try to do that. Why, um, did, I, why <laughs> did I want to do this? Um, but, um, you know, it it, 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 they might as well have just called it the social dilemma. We're fucked mm-hmm. is what if, they would have called it. My recommendation is if you are not aware of social media to watch it, but if you already have some kind of like, informed view on how social media has like affected our lives then i think you're okay yeah. you're fine if you you vote you voted already yes, you, voted, I already Kentucky, voted, you yeah. told me well it was great this will be out before election day so if Soon. you haven't voted yet make sure you go vote um please vote yeah like please, please. vote like you you like donald trump is like we are nipping at his heels yeah and i don't like joe biden but like i don't like him either but you know. my thing is if if i find out people don't vote i'm gonna have a really hard time connecting with you when we go into 2021 Ooh. yeah well, there it is cut you off <laughs> thank you for coming on the show thank this you was for a blast. having me this Absolutely. is so much fun i'll definitely have you back maybe you me and steven will do an episode together or oh, something like that i would love that i want there i i have some i want to talk about housing please it'll be a fun time can we talk and about like, yeah real estate you actually understand political science like i have <sighs> just like you know a, a, a layman's understanding uh, of of it and That's i okay. have my opinions but yeah it'll be good cool. so all right guys have a good day all right